Welcome to the weekly podcast of East Point Church of God. Pastor Larry Sterling, we invite you to join us in a service soon. We're located at 379 Avenue A, East Point, Florida. Our service times are 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays and 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. We pray that this week's message inspires you to shine the light of Christ to those around you. Only God declares good. In fact, only God declares good and evil. Our problem that we face in life is when we take that power away from God. When we determine in ourselves that we can know good and evil and that we can determine what's good and what is evil, then what we are doing is we are telling God that we are bigger and better than you are, God. The only time that we can truly accurately tell good from evil is when we do what God tells us to do. The only time we can know good and evil is when we know the Word of God. The Word of God is what guides you. It's what instructs you. And when we know it's wrong because God told us it's wrong. Not because we have this innate ability to know it's wrong, but we know it's wrong. We know it's evil. We know it's good because God has told us it's good. God has told us it's evil. God has declared these things over the situation. And that, that was last week's sermon, and it is on the, the rich young ruler. And so this morning, I want to, uh, I want to kind of finish that thought today. But I want to go back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is, is an interesting chapter. It talks about the creative order, uh, how God, in the very beginning, be, uh, began to create this entire world. In Genesis 1.1, the Word of God says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This, this basic beginning, we see at, at the very initial, this, the, the problem that we have in English is that your, word, your Bible is a translation of, of the words behind it, okay? And so the Hebrew that is there behind it gives you insight and gives you understanding of what's going on in the passage that sometimes it's lost in translation. I, I remember when I was teaching uh, a couple months ago, in Colombia, I was trying to convey a particular idea and thought, and they didn't have a word for it in Spanish. And I thought, well, that's I'm just toast. I have no idea. If my translator doesn't know the word, I'm out of there. There's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing I can help them with to convey this thought rather than, than having to explain it. Well, if you read Genesis 1.1, you see that in Hebrew, the name of God here is what we commonly call Elohim. Elohim is just a Hebrew name of God that is initially given to us so that we can know this who this is. This is Elohim. This word is there is a plurality in the name. Thus, we recognize that the Trinity is involved in creating at the very beginning. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are right there in the midst of creating this planet. And so the, but the name Elohim is this, and the old Jewish sages would understand it as the God that is the judge. And you'll see him working and doing in the world because what does he do? And when God creates light, their light bursts forth onto the scene. He says, let there be light. And there was light. And then further he'll say, and it was good. 
Why? He is judging and looking at the thing that he has created and he has determined that it is functioning appropriately and correctly and thereby it is good. And so he goes through all of creative order and he's the judging and, and saying it is good. It is good. It is good. Over and over, God declares that things are good. But here is the essence and the trouble that we find. And that if you would read with me, go over to chapter 2 if you have your Bibles on your lap. Chapter 2, verse 4, scholars believe that there is a secondary uh, story of creation that begins in chapter 2, verse 4, and it's necessary for this story to be told again. You say, why are there two creation stories within the first three chapters of the Bible? Well, the first one talks about Elohim, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It is the power of God. It is the judgment of God. It is the it is that that great uh, uh, omnipotent, omnipresent God. And let me tell you, it's really, really hard for lowly humans to relate to Him. That is a very powerful being. Somebody that says, calls things into existence. And it's hard to even think about that. I tried calling things into existence one time. It didn't happen. Just doesn't work. I was a kid. doesn't work. I'm, and you know, sometimes when you get saved, you can try it. Doesn't work. You got to have the power of God behind you. Then you can call it into existence, but it's going to be His power and not yours. But anyway, Genesis 2 4. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, you can look up if you would like, if you're one of these Bible people like me that likes to get deep into the word. This is called the Toledot formula. This is a Hebrew word, what basically means all all through Genesis, there are different sections of stories, and they all begin with this is the history of, okay, and you can go through, uh, you can find them, the next one's in Genesis chapter 5, so in Genesis chapter 2, 4, all the way to Genesis uh, 5, 1, is one entire section of history, of lesson that you're supposed to take. It's like a chapter in a book. You're supposed to read all this together, and all the stories go together within that one section. So at the beginning of this story, we see in 2, 4, that the history of the heavens and the earth is a new story of creation. But then, there is a new new name of God here. If you want to see it again, it's called the Lord God. In verse 4, They were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heavens. What we now see is this name is called, his his name is called now uh, Elohim Jehovah or Elohim Yahweh. There is an addition to the name Elohim. Now, now this is vitally important. You might say, well, why why are you getting into these weeds, Pastor? Well, let me tell you, uh, hopefully you'll read the whole Bible differently here. Because what happens is when you understand what he's doing, what the story is doing, what the Bible is telling you, you understand that God loves you deeply, is cares about you deeply. What Jehovah, the name Jehovah attached to Elohim, lets, allows us to understand is that God, the image of God that we have here, this is the merciful, compassionate, provision God, the God that is near, the God that is close, the God that knows us, the God that gives us food to eat, the God, as verse 8 tells us, that he planted a garden in eastward in Eden, 
seated, and there he put the man whom he had formed. What did God do? The Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, he planted a garden in a place called Eden. There's this country called Eden, and Jehovah Elohim planted a garden. And that means that he physically planted this garden. Why would God take the time to plant a garden? Why? Why would God take the time to come to this world? Why would God take the time to be one of us so that we can know Him? And the Bible says that He was made like us in our afflictions. Jesus was. And so that, so that, so that when we pray, we have a high priest who can pray for us, with us, that was tempted just like we were, but without sin. Okay, so let's keep going. The Lord God planted, Jehovah Elohim planted. So you see these two names together in this first chapter, so to speak, in this, this first Toledo, the chapter two here. This, this the Lord God, he is, he is a parent. He is someone that is close. He is someone that is near us. Very later on, you'll hear a name of God called Emmanuel. He is God with us. You'll see Jesus coming into this world, embodying this figure of somebody that has not left us, of somebody that even though God is judge and even though God will, has to judge, right from wrong. God has to judge good and evil. There is somebody that is walking in the cool of the garden that is there with you, for you, beside you, around you. There is somebody that's your advocate. You're not alone. You're not alone. He may feel distant, but that's just something different. I want to get to you in a minute. He may feel far away. He may feel like he's over on the other side that you can't relate to him. But I want to tell you, he he is not, you are not alone. And the word of God goes on. And the Bible tells us about, about this man, about it is this beautiful thing that God has created. And a word, let me go back one more verse to verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils in a breath of the breath of life, and man became a living being. Something about that gives my modern mind, gives the idea of CPR that God, that, let me just say Jesus so that I can keep my, my names together, that Jehovah Elohim, Jesus, was there forming. Adam out of the dust of the ground and making him and then reached down and over and breathed into his nostrils and he came alive. The closeness of that, the, the closeness that you have to be to someone to be, to, to, to feel their breath on you is really close. I want you to get so close to Jesus that you can feel his breath breathing on you. I mean, actually, when was the last time in my spirit I asked myself, when was the last time you were so close to the Lord that you could, when you heard him speak, you felt him breathe? Everybody can hear God speak, but when's the last time you felt the power of God leap with inside of your being because he spoke? That's what it means to feel his breath. When was the last time God told, spoke something to you and you didn't just respond to it, your, your spirit leaped with inside of you. That's essentially, you felt the breath of God coming on your life. And so as, as this garden goes on, he tells a story and you can get into it. As it goes forward, you see God provide 
Adam with a, with a, with a mate. The Bible says in verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field. And, and it goes through the story and tells you that God, Adam brought all the animals, excuse me, God brought all the animals before Adam. He named them, but the end of verse 20 tells us, but there was not a helper comparable to him. Then verse 21, then the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, had, he made into a woman, and he brought her to man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now all this, we see this, this, this communication, the closeness that Adam and he, Eve, had with each other. In fact, Eve's name hasn't been given yet, and I said this the other day. Eve's name has not been given to her. She's just a woman at this moment. And, and because she's come out of man. And so there's this, there's this beautiful connection with them in the garden. But then we get to chapter 3. And chapter 3 is where, where everything seems to fall apart. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God, same name, Jesus, Jehovah Elohim, had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Here is the cunningness of the serpent. And this is the temptation we all face on a regular basis, each one of us. The Bible tells us that the serpent, which name of God did he use? In English, you don't really know. But in Hebrew, it says, the serpent said to the woman, has Elohim indeed said? Now you say, well, okay, what's the big deal? When you don't know the heart of somebody, it's really hard to follow them. When you don't know their, their, their love for you and their care for you and their joy that you're in their presence, it is very difficult to follow them. It's very difficult to, to, to go forward, and it's very difficult to listen to His voice. It's very difficult to listen to the voice of God when you don't know or feel, when you feel like God is just Elohim. He is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, powerful God that I can't relate to. And so what does this generation do with authority? What do we do today with authority? If you, if somebody above you tells you this is the way it's going to be, and you step back, how dare they tell me that I'm going to do it like that? He's like, not me. You're all like, yes, it's all of us. When we feel like authority is telling us to do something, when we feel like authority is, is over us and, 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 and we don't know their heart and we don't know their, their mind, we don't know their care towards us, we instinctively bristle up against it. 
We instinctively push back against us. And the serpent is cunning towards Eve. And he says, has Elohim, has God, the judge over this whole world, has he really told you that you can't eat? Has has he really said to you, you shall not eat of every tree of every garden? And and you can think Eve's processing here. You're thinking, well, you know what? He he has. He has eaten. He has told me these things. Why would God tell me these things? Why would God make something for me and then tell me I can't have it? This is a generational thing we're still dealing with today. Why would God make something for me and then tell me it's not, I'm not allowed to touch it? Is he some kind of crazy guy? Is he some kind of uh, a person up there that just wants to torture me? And this is what we do with authority. And this is what we do with those that we don't understand. Be, don't understand the purpose of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree that stands in the midst of the garden is not there because God is sadistic towards us. That tree is in the midst of the garden of the, of the knowledge of good and evil is so that you will know that you love God. Because if you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. That is the purpose of the tree. It's not so that you won't. It's not that you, he has something that you can't have. It's not that he wants to try to, he tries to be mean towards you. It's not that he's an authority figure to hitting and, and throwing lightning bolts on you. And anytime you step wrong, well, I can't go here or I'm going to get hit with a lightning bolt. How, how many would you run? How many of us would run to God if he felt like he was going to strike you dead the moment you saw him? When you don't know his heart and you don't know he breathed on you and you don't know that he's there for you and you don't know that when you were weeping he was weeping over you and you don't know that he sang over you this morning and you don't know that his presence is on you and you don't know that the wind of God that is blowing over this area and how he's healed you, how he's touched you and how he's protected you and how he's provided for you and how he's walked beside you even when you didn't recognize him that he stayed there and promised that he'd be closer than a brother and promised that he would never leave you or forsake you and he would go with you to the end when you don't know that Mm. praise God when you don't know that he's there and you push him away and you don't obey him what happens is you don't want to run back because you're afraid you're going to get hit by Elohim you're going to get hit by the judgment of God. The Jewish, Jewish writings and sages and those, they, they very much process this the same way. They basically said we had to have this other figure to understand the mercy and compassion of God. We had to see this part of God. We had to see this, this essence of God. We had to see that God is there in the midst of the situation. We had to see that there is a God that not only is powerful and not only is mighty and not only can move mountains, but He's there beside me when He knows my every thoughts and He knows the number of hairs on my head and He knows when sparrows fall to the ground because He's there. He he knows when you don't have money to pay your bills and you don't know what to, he's there he's not he's not distant he's not far away he knows when you get a bad report he knows when you hear and see these things and he's there beside you beside you in the midst of the whole thing but the satan's 
biggest lie to us is God, he's far away from you. He's far away from you. And he, when he tells you not to do something, it's because he's being a bully. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat? The woman, verse 2, said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. I've said this before, but there's nowhere that God says you can't touch it. She added that. When you add legalism to the commandment of God, it changes the heart of what God is trying to do. I'll just leave that one alone. But that is key. So she's living under this legalistic idea. And then the serpent tells her in verse 4, The serpent said to the woman, you, shall, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here is, here is one of the worst things that you can do to somebody. Lie to them by telling them the truth. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's that subtle gray area that you tell them, but you're not telling them. You're telling them. My wife tells me I do this all the time. She has to get real. She goes, you should have been a politician. She said, if I want to pin you down, I got to know exactly. I got to have exact details of everything that I want to know. I was like, because I only answer questions I'm asked. I don't know why. Maybe I shouldn't have told you that. But when it comes to, when it comes to this, the enemy lies. Do you remember another place in Scripture where the enemy lied by quoting Scripture? And he told the truth, but Jesus said, wait a minute. You see, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to give you the word And if you remember the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, you'll see that the enemy will quote Scripture but use it wrongly. He will quote it and he will, won't he not allow your foot to be dashed against the stone? Why don't you just throw yourself off to this, this high tower, Jesus, and let everybody know that you're a Messiah. You'll, you'll end this whole thing right now, Jesus. The whole world will know you're Messiah when people, you jump off the top of this temple, this pinnacle, and everybody sees you float down. That will, that will do it. That will do it. And, and the Bible tells us, That Jesus rebuked the devil's use of Scripture. Basically saying you're using it wrong. You're you're saying it wrong. Because you can, you can, he twists it to the point where he says there's a greater truth than what you're just saying. The truth of the situation is, is God alone should be worshipped. And man should not be worshipped, but God alone should be worshipped. And if I tried to pull away the worship of God, even though he was God, but he was still fully human, if I tried to pull away the worship of God, then I will have committed sin, and the enemy knew that. You see, what the enemy wants to do is try to get you to have any kind of shortcut that you can make. 
He will, he will, well, hasn't God said? And then you're like, you know what? I think he has. Somewhere I read that. And you go ahead and take the shortcut. And you get there somewhere. And when you get down the road, you see things are starting to go real bad. Things are happening around you and troubles in your life and troubles around you. And, and the enemy it, it speaks. Uh, you look at the, you don't remember the enemy whispering to you. All you do is start blaming God. God, where are you? Your word said, why is this happening to me? And God says, it's because you used it wrong. And so let's keep going on. The word of God tells us about the woman. Now notice her, notice her mind, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Now this is the thing that is pathetic and funny at the same time to me anyway. Because the Bible tells us later, Paul lets us know and points it out very clearly that Adam was not deceived. That he knew full well that she was handing him his death sentence. And he still ate it. That's every blessed man I ever met in my life. She told me I'm not allowed to do it. I know. (laughs) That's not right. I know. But she's pretty. Stupidest thing I ever did see. Why did God make us so stupid? We just, you know, if you jump off that, you know it's going to hurt. Yeah, but she's over there looking at me. You know what I'm talking about. And so you jump and halfway down, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Just don't let me die, Jesus. He's not deceived. Eve's just too pretty. That's what's going on here. And and so, I mean, she is genuinely deceived. Eve has been duped by the devil. She she has shown that she is going against the... she has revealed that she went after these things. She wanted to be like God, knowing good and evil. She wanted that thing. She, she was deceived in all of this. She was, she was the one that fell in this moment. But Adam, he's just stupid. That's all he is. He just, all right, that's what we're going to do. And this is the, <laughs> sorry. Maybe I should repent, I don't know. But that's what I see. And here is the essence of what goes on as it goes, it goes further in. They Then, have you ever tried to fix what you know is messed up? You try to, okay, maybe God won't notice. Let's grab some leaves. And they start growing, and they start coming together. And they start sowing leaves together. And they're, they're, they're covering themselves up. And they're covering themselves. And I don't have time to get into depth of all that. And then they know because there's coming a moment that the Lord God, the one that was with you, was coming to be with them. And they knew when He came, they would experience this. They, they would experience 
They were afraid of what was going to happen. So then you see Adam. Adam and his wife hid from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then one of the most mournful words we hear in verse 9. The Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? Basically, he's calling out in this moment. He's, he knows right where Adam is. He knows he's right behind that bush hiding somewhere. He's not unknowing of his location. He knows exactly where Adam is. But he also knows exactly that Adam is no longer near him. Because now he's dead to him. Now he's dead. Where, where do we see this paralleled? In, in fact, in Lamentations chapter 1, the Bible says in the very first verse, how lonely sits the city. It's the same Hebrew word there, how. Basically, it says, how could this have happened? How is this city lonely? How is this city all alone? And this is God saying, where, where are you? How could I have given you everything, provided everything, did everything for you, and then you do this? Every parent knows what we're talking about. I've done everything that you needed. I, I took care of everything. How could you? How lonely. Where are you today? Where are you as you walk? Where are you as you, as you deal with these things? Where are you? I would be your help. I would be your strength. I would be your hope. I would be everything. But you're hiding from me. You're running from me. In verse 10, Adam says, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You see, God didn't leave us. We left God. Verse 11 says, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then the man said, The woman... Whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate it. And again, this is Adam being dumb. Because if he was smart, he'd have never blamed her in her presence. That was mine, sorry. <laughs> but here he is, right there. If you'd have made her ugly, God, I would, this wouldn't have been a problem. That's essentially what he's saying. She's, my wife's going to kill me for that one. She's with me. You made this of me. She is beautiful. She, she is everything that I want. You did this, God. God didn't do that. We blame God for our problems. God well, if you wouldn't have made me want this thing, if you made, God, if you wouldn't have put this desire, God, if you, God didn't did do that to you. You did that to yourself. 
But here is the reality of it, and you'll see it further on later. And I'll give you the end right now of this particular part. And that is, God knows where we fell, and God knows what's going on. God understands our weakness. God understands our trouble. God understands what's happening here, and yet He makes a way. I'm not, I keep going yet. And then, I gotta hurry, because I'm running out of time. But we only got one service, so you just sit, sit back. And then he goes on, verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. You know, this is, this is a powerful image. She comes clean. She admits, I was deceived. I was deceived. And I ate it. I ate it. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On the belly you shall go. You shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and, and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Basically, this is what God says in verse 15. This is what I'm going to do to you, Satan. I'm going to take the very thing that you corrupted and I'm going to use it to destroy you. The very thing you came after, the very thing that you corrupted, then the Bible says 4,000 years later, there was a man born to a woman named Jesus who's going to save his people from their sins. And he came into this world and he tells the enemy, he says, that what you meant for evil, I'm going to use it and turn it for good. Why? Because I alone have the power to declare good and evil. And you got to get this in your spirit because Romans 8.28 tells you the same thing is on your life. For those of you that love God and are called according to His purpose, that mess that you created, that trouble that you have, that has, has come upon you in your life, God has a way of taking the thing that is evil and turning it for good and giving you victory out of it. The enemy tried to kill you with it. The enemy tried to destroy your home with it. The enemy tried to destroy you and walk all over you. But God said, I'm going to put enmity between you and the serpent. And it doesn't matter what he does to you. And it doesn't matter what you may find yourself in. There will always be a way of escape through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I will turn it around. Bless the Lord. So we finish here. As we go on, he tells the, he tells the Adam, excuse me, the woman, he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow in conception. Pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Here is the essence of this. Basically, Eve, you're going to weep tears in your sorrow, in your sorrow, in your conception. We kind of look at it as just many times ladies say, this pain that I have from delivering babies, 
Thieves fall. Yeah, probably. But it's deeper than that. It's just not physical pain. Basically, it, it's this, it is the sorrow and the weeping that one more son has come into this world. One more daughter has come into a broken and sorrowful world. And that we're going to have to fight every day to get out of it. That she will see over this and she will look over her babies and she will say, had I not eaten of that tree, none of this would have happened. And sorrow, she weeps. Not too long later, Cain will kill Abel. In sorrow, she will see over and over. And then Eve is the Eve, he, the final thing he's, God says to her. He says, Adam, basically, this is why I played up Adam's weakness there. It, because he says, essentially, you're Adam's helpmate. Not as ruler. Not somebody. You have power. Ladies, listen to me. You have power over your husbands. You do. And it's not a good thing to exercise it. I don't need to go down there. There's multiple generations in this room. If it was a married conference, we could go there. But hear me today. The depth of what he's telling her. He's saying, you, he, he, I'm, I'm switching it up so that deep within inside of you, you will recognize that you need him as much as he needs you. That you, you, you need both of them. This is the problem in our culture today. We have a problem of, of, of a world that wants, that wants to survive minus each other. They want to be individuals on their own. They want to do it apart from God. They want to do it their way, their purpose, their life. And God says, the only way that's right is the way I created it. The only way that's good is the way I created it. And then he turns to Adam and he says, cursed is the ground for your sake, Adam. You think you want to provide for yourself? You're out there trying to toil. You're out there taking the trees and you want to make your own bread. You want to make your own food. All right. Now you got to sweat when you do it. Both thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field. If you can't receive that which I freely gave you, I planted this garden. I gave this to you. I provided. And if you're not grateful for the provision, all right, here you go. Now you got to do it yourself. That's what he says. Now the ground is cursed. You know, if the ground could talk, you'd be like, thanks a lot, Adam. Ground is cursed for your sake. Why? Because now you've got to learn what it meant to have my presence. You've got to know what it meant. Listen, this is why the old timers tell you to guard your anointing. Because it costs too much just to let it go for the first pretty thing that walks by, gentlemen. Can I just preach to you this morning? It's too powerful. It's too important for you just to just allow the things of this world to take you out of what God wants for you. 
It, ladies, it's, it's, too, it, it's too precious for you just to give over to the world. Listen to me. What you have now is because you came through it. You came through the flood. You came through the fire. And don't let anybody steal it away from you. God has power in you. God has authority in you. You can, you can bless things and not be cursed. You can overcome. You're guaranteed a way of escape in all things, in all times. And even death cannot overtake you. Because when this body breathes its last, there will be your Savior whom you've been walking beside you at every time of your life and he will scoop you up and bring you home to yourself don't sell it for anything praise God don't sell your anointing don't sell your blessing don't sell your favor don't sell your power God has given you something that enemies shake in your presence it's called the power of the authority of God when you pray when you pray and when you believe the enemy has to flee when you pray and begin to worship God demons flee out of this place I can tell you that we can guarantee that there will be no weapon in this room to come against those that love Jesus Christ all you got to do is start praising God all the way around this room and I'm telling you any demonic force any trouble that walks into this place runs, runs, runs away from the very presence of God know the authority that you have in Christ Jesus and do not sell it for a bowl of soup like Esau but grab a hold of it like a pearl of great price and realize I'm never letting go and I'm not selling it and I'm not giving in and I'm not letting it go because had I not been for the Lord who pulled me me out had he not rescued me how he not broke this bondage off of me had he not delivered me from drugs and bondage and pornography or all any other thing that has you easily be said had God not showed up I'd have died and went to hell but the Lord brought me out the Lord lifted me up I will not sell it devil I will not release it devil I will not let it go bless God in this room I got to quit. Verse 22, sad. The Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. See, here's the problem. Let me keep reading. It knows lest. And now let he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden. Until the ground from which he was taken. So he drove. He drove him out. And he placed his cherubim on the east of the Garden of Eden. And a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. He turned him out. And the Bible tells us how beautiful of a moment this is. Adam now knows good and evil the way we know good and evil. But what is unspoken that you got to understand is that Adam doesn't have the power to do anything about it. He has no power, so this knowledge is going to torture him. He'll know, Jesus said, you being evil know how to give good gifts. It will torture him. 
And I cannot let Adam stay this way. So for his own good, I feel the heart of God. For his own good, it's that saying, it's going to hurt me more hurt you. The parent pushes. Got to go. You got to go. And he pushes. But God, don't you love me? Oh, you don't know how much I love you, son. But you got to go. Because if you eat this, you'll never have hope. You'll only be in despair. You'll only be lost. You'll forever be without me. So God, close Adam and Eve. Shows them a way of sacrifice. I don't have time to get there. It drives them out. Then he puts a cherubim right there to guard the way. Flaming sword kind of thing. Can't come back. It's done. Guards it. Usually that's where we stop. But there's one more verse. I'll give you time for a second, Sister Connie. Genesis 4.1. There's one more verse that finishes the story. At least this part of it anyway. And the next thing, after they're driven out, Genesis 4.1, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And I have acquired and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Now, why is this hope? Why is this hope? Because of the name of God she uses. In chapter 2, she called him Elohim. In chapter 4, she calls him Jehovah. In chapter 2, he was nothing but authority and a judge. But in chapter 4, she knows he's near. She knows he's near, that he's Jehovah. And what's interesting is that Elohim is dropped off of the name. And now, Adam and Eve walked out of that garden, but they didn't walk out alone. Jehovah went with them. He walked with them. Adam and Eve was driven out. Sometimes as a parent, you say, well, I got to do this. But I'm not going to let you do it by yourself. I'm not going to let you do this by yourself. This is going to cause me pain. But I'm not going to let you go. I'm not just pushing you away. I'm grabbing your hand. And I'm walking with you.
and I'll go with you. And you'll read all through Genesis. Guess who's still walking around? You'll see him everywhere. Walking by faces, walking up to Abraham. You see him walking. I want you to hear me this morning as I close. Humanity failed tremendously. Humanity in this moment failed dramatically. But this is not just a story of humans. It's a story of a God that loves. A story of a God that when He breathed into the life of this child, that He wasn't going to let it go. And that from generation to generation, from place to place, you'll see, oh man, I could just preach on this subject all morning. Stand with me. The Word of God. They had all this mess with Cain and Abel, and this is the close of this story. The story that I'm telling. Cain kills Abel. Cain's driven out. The Bible says at the end of this, end of this whole passage, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also was born, a son was born, and he named him Enish. Then men began to call on the name of Yahweh. And God had done it. He walked out with Adam. He walked out with Eve. He was there for them. He was beside them. Then God provided them another son. And then his son, the next generation, began to call on the name of the one that will never leave you. They begin to call on the name of the one that will go with you to the end. They, they begin to call on the name. And then Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, that name that's given, given unto a Jesus Christ, that name that's above every name, that at his name all every knee shall bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he is Jehovah. He is the one that's been there. He is the one that's covered you. He is the one that's been beside you. He is the one that's going to be there in the midst of your storm. So to this morning, I want you to pray. And I want you to know that no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what has happened to you in your life, there is one that loves you. If your parents have gone on, there's still one that loves you. If you've lost everything, there's still one that loves you. If, you if, the, if everything around you is going south, your parents, whatever, maybe never be around anymore, he still is there. Some of them have gone on to their eternal reward, and you're just waiting for that moment to see them again. Jesus is there waiting with you. 
Bible says he weeps with those who weep. He rejoices with those who rejoice. He's there beside us every moment of every hour of every day. He was a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the one that shows them that he sent his his comforter to come into this world. That whenever you need him, all you got to do is whisper his name and he's there. He's here right now to touch you, to heal you, to strengthen you. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of East Point Church of God and Pastor Larry Sterling. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace.